If I can draw your memory back to the first week in August, we looked at the idea in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, that you have been raised with Jesus Christ, and so you are to set your heart on things that are above. In light of that, we were reminded in, uh, or taught in week 2 that therefore you are to put to death certain things, stuff that belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, and the like. And then last week we were reminded that as God's chosen people, like you do in the morning, hopefully, and I see that you've done today, much to my delight, you've taken off your pajamas and put on some proper attire. You are to do likewise as a Christian. You are to take off things and put on other things that are good for you, like love and compassion and humility and the like. And so today we are going to focus primarily on chapters 3, or chapter 3 rather, finishing this off, verses 15 to 17. And um, I'm going to offer you three certainties this morning. Well, Paul is going to offer you three certainties, and I'm going to help unpack those. So why don't you turn to page 1184 in your Bible, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15. Now before I read the text, let me just remind you that Paul was writing this letter, it's called an epistle, to the church in Colossae. Paul never actually visited this city or church himself. Paul didn't even plant this particular church. A man by the name of Epaphras planted this church who responded to Paul's preaching of the gospel. The book or the epistle was written in around AD 62, and that's very significant because it's still within the lifetime since Jesus Christ was crucified, within 30-odd years. And what's amazing about this particular book is it's said to be the most least significant city that Paul wrote to, but it's said to be one of the most significant epistles that Paul has written, mainly because in this epistle he outlines the supremacy of who Jesus is. And I say that also by way of one other thing, and that is this. The church here in Colossae was a church that was built upon Gentile believers. And what that basically means is it's people who weren't originally from Jewish backgrounds. And so they later converted to Christianity after responding to the gospel. And that is why this epistle is as important now to us as it was back then in AD 62. Because you have at some stage, or will at some stage, if I keep my hope intact, respond to the gospel and choose for yourself to love Jesus. And so you've had an old life and then you've had a new life. And bear that in mind as Paul is writing. So he says in verses 15 through 17, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we do live in very uncertain times, and so in uh, light of that, I want to offer you three certain truths this morning that we're going to explore together. We're going to explore the certainty that there's always an umpire, secondly, that there's always a word, 
And thirdly, that you are always serving. There's always an umpire, there's always a word, and you are always serving. So let's go for the first one. There's always an umpire. Verses 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, if you have any doubts on the wickedness of humankind, I invite you to attend a youth sports event where you will see mums and dads yelling at the referee or yelling at their children if they're not performing in a certain way, particularly if the ball is called out and the team who is supposed to get the ball, it was out, it was out. The other team, no, it was in, it was in. Even the dads who aren't watching the game but are on their phones are still shouting it was in or whether it was out. It just stirs something inside of us, doesn't it? I don't know if you've been to a professional sports game or any type of sports match. I've uh, been to a few myself. And one thing that strikes me that's really important in any game is the role of the referee. Whether you like him or her or not, the role of the referee is extremely important. Think about it. If you went to a rugby game or a cricket match or a football game or something, and there was no referee to discern whether it was in or out, right or wrong, fault or double fault or not, it would be absolute carnage, wouldn't it? I mean, men would probably literally kill each other before they come to a call, and the last man standing will probably get the call. Now, many of you may pay double for that type of ticketed event. I don't know. But the truth is, without a referee, it would not be good at all. Here in verses 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. He is saying, let Jesus be the ultimate referee in your life. That's the, 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 the meaning of let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let Jesus be the ultimate referee. Because the truth is, in all relationships, take sporting out the equation for now, in all relationships, at some stage, there is always an umpire, and the question is, who is that umpire? So uh, whether it's marriages whether it's friendships, whether it's parenting, the problem always happens is when you decide to put on the ref shirt yourself and make the call. And when two people decide to do that, then you get an argument. You spend too much money on the kids. You don't spend enough money on the kids. Ref shirt's on. You make me cry all the time. You're too emotionally weak. Referee shirt's on all the time. You stamp one foot down, they stamp two feet down, and you're at loggerheads. Because you've both decided to put the umpire shirt on and make the final call. And what happens when you do that? Think about it. In those moments, do you have a spirit of thankfulness and joy? Well, if you're anything like me when you're feeling in those moments, that's exactly you have the opposite feeling. It's often bitterness and anger, isn't it? And what ends up happening when we put on the referee shirts, what do we do? We become temporary archaeologists, don't we? And we start digging up the past, yeah? And we put it on the rock pile of history. You're just like your grandmother. You're just like your father. Two feet down. You know, and that's what we do. Is that just me? I hope not. The truth is, there's always an umpire, and Paul writing to the Gentile believers knew this. Now, I don't know what the church in Colossae were fighting over. I don't know what was causing bitterness and strife, 
We don't really know. But something was, and the people in the church were putting on the ref shirts, and as a result, there was lack of peace in the congregation. Now, Paul says then, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So he's saying, okay, Matt, I hear what you're saying. We put on the ref shirt. Maybe we shouldn't. We should give the ref shirt to Jesus to put on. Let him be the ultimate deliberator. But what does that actually look like? Now, I've got to tell you, what it, often to understand what something does look like, you've got to start by what it doesn't look like. That helps us to get a good, rounded understanding of it. And what it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like passivity, being passive, doing nothing. So, for example, you make me cry. You're too emotionally weak. Oh, I'm just going to let Jesus rule, and I'm going to walk away and just go grab a beer or something. That's not what it looks like. It's not that level of, oh, I'm just going to let Jesus, leave it with him, let him. It's not that at all. But it's about actively allowing it to happen. And so what I would charge you with and challenge you with is this. Men, women, moms, dads, parents, children, know your way around the Bible as it's a lamp under your feet. So when you're in those moments and you have Colossians 3 in your mind, let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. I'm going to let Jesus be the ultimate umpire. What does the word say about the matter? You know? Not what does the paper say about it, my friend in the office. What does the word have to say about this situation? Sometimes that's difficult. Or sometimes you come to a certain text together and you think we disagree. So what do you do? Well, let someone else, invite someone else to come in, a trusted member of the church, and to give you counsel and advice. Something we struggle with, don't we, in our society? Asking people for very intimate advice. What do you think about my marriage, my parenting, the way that I'm serving, the way that I'm doing this? And one other thing you can do is test your relationships with the people in the church. Paul says here, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of what? Two bodies? Three bodies? One body. Unity. How is your relationship with your fellow brothers and sisters here in the church? Do you walk out of there quickly because you're perhaps in disagreement constantly with people? Are you always moaning about Doris? Are you always frustrated with Betty? Are you always angry at Alfie? I'm running out of names. Uh, one commentator says it this way, it's in church how we learn to do relationships right. And if we learn in church how to do relationships right, the overflow will be in our other relationships. As you'll notice, a large part of what I'm saying to you this morning is if we get the center right, if we drop the heavy pebble in the center of uh, a river and let the ripple effects do their, their, their thing, if we, if we follow this text right and let Christ literally drop as a heavy weight into the center of our lives, that's the glory of God, the weightiness of God. It should then overflow. No different in relationships. You see, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. Parkstone, Pool, Waterloo, wherever you live, needs Gateway Church to be unified, to be pressing on in the gospel. And to do that, we need to let King Jesus be the ultimate decider in our deliberations. And then finally, how do you know if Jesus is ultimately the umpire in your life? And be thankful. When's the last time you just stopped, paused for a moment, and you know what? I'm just going to say thank you. 
Done that recently? Firstly, there's always an umpire. Who is your umpire? Secondly, there's always a word. Turn with me to verses 16. Let the message, um, other translations say, let the word, let the word, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, the truth is, my friend, whether you would admit it or not, there is always a higher authority in life by which we submit ourselves to. In other words, there's always a higher word. If you've done jury service or whether you have to give evidence in a court of law, something really interesting, I don't know when it changed, but something that has changed in our immediate history, so in, in recent history. If you are to give evidence in a court of law, then you have to say, I swear to give the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me, God. You have to affirm on the word of God that you are going to testify, not before men, but before God, and you're going to give truth. Well, interestingly now, in a court of law, you can do that not just on the word of God by having someone hold a Bible in front of you. You can do it on any major religious text. So you can do it on the Quran if you wanted to. But more interestingly than that, interestingly than that you don't even have to do it before a religious text. You can do what's called an affirmation. You can do it on your own word. So in 2017, your word, your authority, has the same value as the authority and word of God in a court of law. Isn't that interesting? That you can swear by God Almighty, Yahweh, the creator of heavens and earth, or you can swear by your own name. In our Western cultures... We don't value words as much as Eastern cultures do. We often tend to see our words as like disconnected branches from a dead tree. We'll say something, it's, it comes out of us, we speak it, and it's just kind of around. Also, I don't believe that we often have, see our words as pulsating, dynamic, and powerful. You know, we need to see our words as like a weeping, a weeping willow comes to mind, a beautiful, massive tree, interconnected branches moving together. Our words are like that, and the Old Testament sees words like that. You know when someone speaks out a birthright, you couldn't claim it back, because once you speak something out, it will happen, it's pulsating, it's alive, it's dynamic. Your words are like that, they are alive, they are dynamic. And the word here, the message, or the gospel of Christ, what Paul is saying, let that rule in your hearts, dwell in it richly. Dwell in it richly. Through my lifetime, uh, the UK government has done some successful things. And one of the things that they've done really well is reduce the amount of... Um, 
reduce the amount of smoking or the amount of smoking people do in society because of the negative health effects. So when I was a teenager, you could smoke in pubs and you know, indoors. Now you can't. And that's largely due to most sources saying that 80 to 90% of lung cancer is caused by consistent active smoking. In other words, the activity of doing that has caused cancer in many people's lives, causing them to pass away. And the 80 to 90% of lung cancer is caused by active smoking. But what about passive smoking? I met a man called Terry over the last couple of weeks. Terry was married for 36 years. And he retired with his wife 11 years ago. Lovely chap, Terry. Four years into his retirement, his wife sadly and suddenly got ill and passed away within six weeks. And she passed away with lung cancer. According to Terry, him and his wife, they never smoked. Never smoked. And so they were confused. Why? Why lung cancer? And the medics put it down to, most probably, the exposure to smoke his wife had in the 70s and 80s when she used to work in a bar. For 20 years, work in a bar, and as a result, the passive smoking, so she wasn't active in it, but the, the passive smoking ultimately caused her death. Now, I say that because it's a very poignant point for 2018 and our culture. Because most of us aren't passionate or actively pursuing a word or a cause or something, but we're very passive about it. The one thing my office lacks is men and women who are just for something. Doesn't even have to be Jesus, but they have a conviction about something. Either politics or, I don't know, renewable energy or whatever it is. But actually, the most people in my office are just passive, going about life. And Paul says here, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Folks, church, friends, brothers, sisters, you are to be actively pursuing the gospel. Learning, engaging with it, allowing it to sit above you as the highest court of authority, subjecting, your, subjecting yourself to it. My friends... Live for something. Now, Paul writes this because there must have been people who weren't dwelling, um, who weren't allowing the word to dwell in them richly. Yeah? I mean, that's, you know, like a telephone call, Paul's epistles. You don't hear both sides of the call, but I've heard enough. If I was to pick up the phone to you, or so you'd pick up the phone to someone and say, listen, mate, just dwell in the word richly, and I'm standing back listening, I'm thinking you're probably not doing it. That's why he's telling you to do it. And I want to warn this morning against, I'll use the word, passivity, because I think it is um, Mother Teresa called the cancer of the Western civilization as complacency. And I think complacency, like passivity, is a cancer that will not just affect your life and ruin it because you won't be passionately pursuing anything and therefore achieve nothing. The target will be so wide, you'll just shoot and you don't care where it hits because you're not really aiming for anything. 
And I would say this because most of us, or the, the cancer of our society in passive, the effects of it is the passive pursuit of the self. We live in a society in which people dwell in nothing richly. They, have, they lack conviction or passion for a cause. And so they just passively meander through the garden of life. And because of that, what ends up happening is, and it works out something like this. Hey, so-and-so, can you do this for me? Well, if the ultimate word in my life is passivity and thinking about myself, then the umpire I'm going to put over my life, by which is going to make the deliberations, is going to be, well, what effect will that have on me? And therefore, the decision I'll make is actually the best decision for me. And hopefully that makes sense. Because if you have a word that is ultimately over you, well, guess what? You are allowing that word to direct you, to teach you, to influence you, and to help you decide between the decisions that you need to make. Because every ultimate word that you submit yourselves to comes with an umpire. It comes with an umpire. So what is Paul saying here? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Friends, church, if you are a believer this morning, let the good news of the gospel of the cross dwell in you richly. Let it marinate in you richly. Soak in it. Jump into the vat of God's gospel. It shouldn't be a surface level thing. You should be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have in your heart. Are you ready to give a defense? Don't just scrape the surface. Because the truth is, we don't do it with our hobbies, do we? What do you love doing in your spare time? How much do you read about it? How much money do you spend on it? How much do you teach other people about it? So how do we know that the message of Christ is dwelling in us richly? Well, look what Paul says. There's three things very clearly. First of all, are you teaching and admonishing, admonishing, admonishing one another? So are you teaching or are you correcting, rebuking, helping one another with all wisdom? When's the last time in the church you pull someone aside because your kindness is wanting to lead them to repentance. And you go, listen, brother, listen, sister, I just noticed this. We have the relational capital to deal with this. I'm not just on a whim here, but, you know, I've, I've spotted that in your life. When's the last time someone did that to you and you accepted it with graciousness? Recently? This year? This decade? Frequent teaching and admonishing of the word in your life. Secondly, there is singing, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Singing isn't just reserved for the women. Men, you're allowed to sing. And it isn't just reserved for men with soft beards, but men with real coarse beards too, menly men. My, someone I worked with once said, you know, men can change the oil of their car and sing to God. That's a real man. I can't change oil, but I can sing loud. So hopefully my louder singing makes up for my lack of oil abilities. Singing. Are you a singer? There's something powerful about singing too because in our singing, we're actually teaching 
and rebuking and correcting one another as we're singing um, the word of God. And thirdly, you spotted it already probably before me. Do it with what in your heart? Gratitude. See a theme here? Thankfulness. I'll ask you the same question again. When's the last time you just paused in your life and just said thank you to God? There's always an umpire. There's always a word. And guess what, folks? You are always serving. You're welcome. Right. Verses 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything in the name of Jesus. Now think about this. If there's always an umpire, someone sitting in a chair, and there's always a word, something that holds ultimate authority over you, then guess what it's going to naturally affect? Your behavior. Someone says it this way, we become what we worship because that is seen in our behaviors. You know, a lot of people ask me, or have done over the years, mature Christians and also people who have just come to, you know, um, become Christians. Matthew, what should I do next in terms of what book should I read that's going to help me grow and going to help me mature my Christian walk? Great question to ask. And there are a lot of good books out there, namely the Bible, plus others that you could go and read and that'd be helpful. But actually, what I found over my 14 years of following Christ, the quickest way to Christian maturity is to serve. It's to drop, just drop stuff, what you're doing and go and serve somebody else. Now, you know here at 502, we have much needed in terms of serving because by God's grace, we're growing faster than the people we have here to uphold the work. That's great. But we need you to get, roll up your sleeves and get stuck in. We need you to probably read less books and serve more. Because that's where you're going to grow in your Christian maturity. And actually what it'll do, is it'll, it'll intensify your appetite for reading more. Because you'll be engaged, you'll be on the front line. Men in, and women in war on the front line, serving their country, you know, they, have, um, they don't have much time to stop, to bicker and complain and moan. Because they're just cracking on with it. And so Christian maturity, a quick way to Christian maturity is to serve. And that's to be like Jesus, because we read in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me tie this all together for you. If another major religion is the ultimate word in your life, then you will dwell in it, right? You will go to its umpire to help you make decisions, and the overflow will be behaviors that mirror what is written in the book. If self is the ultimate word in which you dwell in richly, you know, it's about you, you will dwell in it. You will go to your own interpretation of events to be the ultimate decision maker in your life. And the overflow will be behaviors that primarily benefit you. But if the gospel is the ultimate word in your life, you will dwell in it. Jesus will be the ultimate umpire, and the overflow will be behaviors which mirror Jesus and that ultimately will benefit others primarily. 
one commentator poses this challenge, and this, for me, was like cold water at 6.30 a.m. It was a sobering challenge. Whatever you do, can you suffix the activity or comment with this, in the name of Jesus? That's what Paul writes, doesn't he? Whatever you do, in word or do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or in other words, everything we do and say must be able to stand having the words above it, in the name of Jesus. What a challenging thought. Go with me on this one. Let's ad-lib for a moment. Could be dangerous, could be good. I am going to serve my wife after church today in the name of Jesus. I am going to drink coffee today in the name of Jesus. Amen. We all agree with that. I am going to correct my children in the way of the Lord in the name of Jesus. I am going to be harsh with my friend in the name of Jesus. I am going to engage in gossip in my office in the name of Jesus. I think I'm going to kick back tonight and watch a bit of porn in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to give money to the church this month in the name of Jesus. Um, yeah, you know what? I just don't feel like going to church in September in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to put the interest of other people above my own in the name of Jesus. Friends, I could go on. Whatever activity you do, whatever comment you make, are you able to suffix it with the title or phrase, in the name of Jesus? Now listen, this is not a legalistic um, I'm not trying to lord it over you with a stick by going, right, you know, we've all got to do this. Because the whole point of trusting you've attended the previous three weeks is that we're setting up today's text and that you know your identities, that you are raised with Christ. Because the truth is, folks, you cannot, it's impossible, you cannot and you cannot suffix every activity and word that you say with the comments in the name of Jesus and before I move on to my conclusion, just notice here one other thing. What does he say at the end? How do you know someone is, is serving in the name of Jesus? They're able to do what? Give thanks to God the Father through him. Everything is just, the, the string meandering, the thread through all of this is a thankful heart, isn't it? I don't know if you see that. Let me conclude Many of you may not have heard of a man called Cesar Flores. Very passionate name. If my name was Cesar Flores, I would be very glad. It's not Matthew Ashton, but we'll do. Um, many of you may not have heard of a guy called Cesar Flores. Uh, he was officiating an amateur football match in Cordoba, around 700 kilometers northwest of Buenos Aires in Argentina when he showed during this amateur football match a red card to someone who deserved it for completing a really poor challenge. The player was incensed. 
angry. He left the field as required. But very strangely, a moment later, the same player came back onto the field with a gun in his hand. And in 2013, he shot the referee three times, killing him on the spot, causing him to die without any cause, just for doing his job. Many of you would have heard of a man called Jesus. He was bringing the kingdom of God to Israel and the surrounding nations. When he spoke and showed the unnamed people that he was the son of God, the people left and they jeered, although it was like a red card. Moments later, those same people came back and they beat and crucified him, killing him on the spot on the cross, causing him to die. Now, just imagine for one moment if Cesar Flores rose again, the referee. Imagine if he got shot three times and he came back to life. What impact would that have on the 22 football players on the pitch? Do you think they would contest the next call? Probably not. They just shot the guy and he came back to life. I think he would demand some sort of authority for the remaining 40 minutes of that football match. I think the people would interact with Cesar Flores very differently following his resurrection from being shot on the football pitch. The highest point in the book of Colossians is Paul telling the church about the supremacy of Christ. That 2,000 years ago, the ultimate referee did rise again. And as a result, the game is forever changed. And so even though you cannot suffix everything that you do and say with the title, in the name of Jesus, the truth is if you come to the Lord Jesus' feet, and if you lay everything down and repent of your sin, he says, my son, my daughter, I welcome you. Your sin is my sin. My forgiveness is yours. You will do things in the future again that you cannot suffix with my name. You will do it seven times, seven times. And guess what? I'm going to continue to forgive you and love you because that's my natural disposition towards you. Let's pray as the band comes up. Why don't we stand as we pray? And what I want us to do as we stand, because it's very clearly a thread in here, this spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. You may not have much materially. You may um, have very much. You may not have much relationally. You may have very much. You may not have much in way of health. You may have much. You may not have much in educational training. You may have much. Folks, it doesn't matter because before the living God of the Bible, we can come with thankfulness. So why don't we open up our hearts and we're going to just say thanks before we hand over to Nathaniel. Why don't we do it in the quiet in the moment now. You have an opportunity to respond and say thanks. Oh, Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that this morning we're able to be here as a group of people to sing songs and hymns with the help of the Spirit. We want to thank you that we can dwell in the Word richly this morning. We want to thank you, Jesus, that you are the ultimate deliberator between all of our life's difficulties. Jesus, we want to say this morning in a fresh, ask that you be our most um, you would be, that you would be our primary influencer 
that would help us live the life you've called us to live. And Father, I pray as a result, by the help of the Spirit this morning, as we gaze upon the cross through singing, we would have thankful hearts. We're thankful, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for all the provisions you've given us. And we want to respond now by way of singing passionately and fervently because of all.